Yes, sir. Welcome back in LA Gridiron Weekly here on a Saturday, 877-710-ESPN, 877-710-3776. Man, we go straight to the guest line. A guy who's been putting in work. That's right. NFL never sleeps, and this guy never sleeps as well. He's Sam Monson of PFF Pro Football Focus. He's the lead uh, analyst for Pro Football Focus. And Sam, first of all, I think the big topic of this week has been you releasing your top 50 rankings, my brother, like top 50 rankings in the NFL. First of all, before we go over some of the rankings and some of our players here in Los Angeles, how do you compose a top 50 rankings? Yeah, it's not easy. I mean, obviously, PFF is out there watching and grading all these players on every place. We have this wealth of grades, this wealth of data, and it's easy enough to compare, you know, one player to another within position groups. But then how do you compare the best defensive tackle in the NFL to the best wide receiver, to the best quarterback, cornerback, whatever it is? And that's where it gets tricky, right? Because there's no roadmap to that. You've got to do it a little bit by, by feel and by what we know about all these, these sort of data points. And I think one way that is, is the way we, we start with is like you compare the guys within their position groups and then how big is the gap between one guy and the next? So the, the the great starting point is always, you know, number one, number two, because it's not going to surprise anyone to know that that's Aaron Donald and it's Patrick Mahomes, right? And you, you look and you say, well, how do you separate Donald and Mahomes? And I think a good way of doing it is saying, well, how much better is Donald than the next guy on the inside on the defensive line? And then how much better is Mahomes than the next guy? And when you talk about Donald, there's nobody else in his stratosphere. Like that guy is off in a world all by himself. Nobody is even close to the player that Aaron Donald is. But Patrick Mahomes wasn't the best quarterback last season, right? Aaron Rodgers was. And, you know, in any given year, there's three, four, five guys that can put up a season that's as good as, as anything that Patrick Mahomes can do. Nobody has been, you know, even in the same vicinity as Aaron Donald basically since he came into the NFL. So I think that's a good way of saying, all right, you've got two phenomenal players, the best of their positions in the NFL, both, you know, potential future Hall of Famers. But the gap between one guy and the next at his position, I think, is much, much larger when you're talking about Donald. And that's, I think, a good way of kind of separating them and, and starting off the process. You know, Sam, how do you look at what happened in 2020 and project 2021? How do you look at where a guy is at currently and then the potential of what he could be by also factoring in new offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator, new offensive scheme, defensive scheme that actually may put a player in a more advantageous situation that could see them high, high ranked. How does that work into the equation? Right. And, and that's another part of the process that's tricky. Um, and it's not just sort of circumstances that have changed. It's sometimes guys just have bad years or great years. Right. And the last thing you saw is not always the thing that's going to project how that guy is going to be going forward. So you think of players like Josh Allen and you're like, well, year three, Josh Allen breaks out. He posts a PFF grade of 90. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. The Bills roll into the playoffs. So now we expect Josh Allen to be a superstar quarterback every single year. But you only have to look at Lamar Jackson to know that it doesn't always work like that. It's not this step, step, step forward and upwards every year. Lamar Jackson was an MVP the year before and then took a step back next year. It's, it's not that he became a bad player, but he, he wasn't MVP again. You know, he took a slight step in the other direction. So 
yeah, weighing the idea that, well, we know what everybody did last year, but it's not necessarily the most important data point to, to work from, or at least not the only data point. You need to factor in well, what happened the year before and the year before that, and how much information do we have on these players and the new circumstances around them? So again, you know, there's no right answer necessarily. There's no exact solution to all this. It's, it, they're all factors that have to come into this when we're building this list from, from scratch projecting into the, the season. He's Sam Monson. He's the lead NFL analyst over at Pro Football Focus. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Sam. Uh, for people out there who are listening right now, they say, oh, you, you guys will watch a game here, game there. How do you get all these great? Can you tell the people how much film you actually watch, Sam? Yeah, and, and it's not just me. PFF uh, collectively are just grinding film for all day, every day, you know, st- all the way through not just the NFL season, but all the way through the offseason as well. Um, the number of man hours attached to any single NFL game by the time it makes it up onto the website is ridiculous. It's upwards of 50. Um, we have multiple processes that are split and, and it's kind of double team. So two separate guys will do each process to make sure that we're not being uh, swayed by individual biases. And then they're, they're rec- uh, reconciled at the end by a third guy. So there's just an incredible amount of work that goes into each and every game by the time it goes up on the website. And then every one of, of guys like me who are on the content side of things and are creating these lists and creating articles over the course of the offseason, we have this product, PFF Ultimate, that the NFL teams use um, all 32 of those teams, and it's tied into the video system. So, you know, if we want to talk about, you know, this this player's biggest flaw is missed tackles, and you can go through and you can just click on his missed tackles and you can watch all 20 of them that he had last season. You can start trying to work out what the problem was. Why was this guy missing 20 tackles? What was going on? So all the time we're doing these articles or these these topics and trying to make points we're kind of consistently watching through the tape and, and trying to analyze what's going on through the, the PFF system. You know, one of the things that I know when you watch so much tape, you you kind of come away and you say, wow, I just I didn't realize that throughout the league. And so for 2020, and look, we'll get to some of these player rankings in a minute, but, you know, I like to geek out when we talk football. You know, we don't get a lot of football talk, especially in June, Sam. You know, this is like, these are like those dog days of summer that people don't understand where Talking right. football is fun, but you just got to get somebody on your same wavelength. And I know you are uh, on my same wavelength. But what was the, I guess, overwhelming um, na- uh, narrative of the 2020 season? When you watched all these games, all this tape, what did you actually come away from a pandemic season that hopefully you look forward to 21 and maybe be a little bit different? Well, obviously, the, the numbers on offense exploded, right? The, right? the passing numbers, the just points scored, offensive yards, all these kinds of things were like record highs. And I think when you start watching, you realize, and, and you know, you'll appreciate this given where you played, but linebacker has just become this nightmare position where <laughs> like the number of things a linebacker is expected to have to deal with now on any given play is ridiculous. Like, you know, you go back 10, 15 years and you would get these specialized two down strong side linebackers. And that guy's job was just to hit a fullback in the hole. That's yep. basically it. Right. If it's a pass play spot drop, get, you know, get in a lane and that's it. That's, <laughs> that's the, all you got to do. Hey, Sam, it was set the edge and play curl flat. <laughs> right. And, and that was the job. Right. It was a very simple read and then just get to a spot. 
Right now, like a, a linebacker, a those those guys have kind of gone by the wayside, right? They're dinosaurs; they don't really exist anymore. There isn't that really limited role. So, a linebacker that's playing now has got to deal, diagnose the run, figure out which of the many options and the window dressing is actually the thing that's happening. Make sure it isn't a play action pass because then you've got to start not just getting to to a curl flat; you've got to start getting depth and. Yeah. getting in the way of these throwing lanes for route concepts that are coming in behind you. And you got to do all this while guys are trying to block you. You know, there was a, a play recently where we saw it from, um, you know, the Arizona Cardinals trying to diagnose a, a play that the 49ers were running. And by the time the linebacker figured out where it was going and looked up, 320 pounds of Trent Williams is running out of like a Mack truck and about to kill the guy. Like yeah. it's linebackers. I think have just had it. They've been hit the hardest of any position on defense. I think by the way that NFL offenses have gone and the way that they've evolved to make everything look like everything else, right? Kyle Shanahan and that system, all runs look the same and all runs look like all passes and RPOs and everything that that's just happened over the last 10 years to make offenses more difficult to defend. It, it all seems to have zeroed in on the linebacker position. I mean, it's so funny that you say that because I've seen it before that now gone are those three down line, well, two down linebackers. Right. You got to be on the field all the time. And so, look, let's, let's focus on some of these rankings now because, you know, we, there's different positions. You mentioned the quarterback spot. But when you look at like guys like Aaron Donald, you look at Jalen Rams. Don't focus on, on the Rams here because these are the two highly rated guys I saw. When you see Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald, what makes them so special? I mean, Donald, I think it's all the things that we can see. He's just a different breed of, of player. And, and he has been throughout his career, even dating back to college. He's obviously got quickness. He's got speed, athleticism, strength, everything. But his technique is incredible as well. Like his hand usage and just ability to defeat blocks. I've said for a while now that, you know, there's a lot of players that will get pressure most of the time if you give them enough time. Donald, I think, might be the only player in the NFL where if you give him enough time, he will get there. Like, it's just a case of how much time it takes. He is going to get pressure if you give him enough time. And the difference between the plays where he does get pressure and where he doesn't is just, did you get the ball out fast enough? Like, did was there somewhere to go with the ball? And did you have uh, a, an open receiver to get rid of it before Donald had a chance to impact the play? He, there's nobody else like that in the NFL. There are guys that can turn that on for a while, but Donald is at that level every game, every week, 24-7. That's just how he is. Um, Jalen Ramsey is another great player. Again, something of a sort of physical freak in terms of size, speed, the, all those traits that he has. But he's also given this extremely difficult role within that defense where he has to cover the number one guy. And it, it it allows the Rams to do a bunch of things on defense and I think helps guys like Darius Williams on the other side have great yeah. seasons because they don't have to worry about being one-on-one -on -one with a DK Metcalf all the time because that's Ramsey's job. That's what he's doing. And that's why you trade, you know, the first round picks and you give him the big money contract because he's, he's uh, executing an assignment that's about as difficult as it gets in the NFL. Got a little rapid fire for you because I know you got to run, but I'm thankful for the time that you've had today, Sam. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to focus on a couple players from the Chargers and the Raiders coming up here. So uh, I want to ask you about Justin Herbert. You mentioned it a little bit earlier with that Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, those kind of guys who uh, you've seen uh, Josh get better as his career has gone on. 
Lamar was MVP right away in his second year. What about Justin Herbert? You know, where, where can he go? Because you mentioned the expectation for what we saw his rookie year. Will he get better or will he stay the same? How do we grade that? I think he's a really interesting player to watch here, too, because of exactly what you're talking about. He was so good in year one, incredible at the most difficult things in the NFL. That's what made him so amazing to watch. So he's a really interesting guy to see develop because it, it probably won't just be this automatic, you know, step better, step better. Because like Herbert was the number one graded quarterback in the NFL under pressure last year. Like nobody was better under pressure. And we know that that is not a stable, predictive thing year to year. The, the guys that are the best graded quarterbacks under pressure, it's a different name every year. It changes because it's it's inherently like a, a volatile, random kind of thing, right? Sometimes you get pressure, sometimes uh, a play presents itself, and sometimes it doesn't. And it, so the fact that Herbert was number one in the NFL next year or last year, he's probably not going to be number one in the NFL next year. Um, and a huge amount of his performance was built off that play under pressure. So is he going to get better at the other things to offset the fact that he'll probably come down a little bit under pressure? Um, and, you know, can he get a lot better at the other things and completely offset it and still improve, even if he regresses a little bit in that area? And, um, you know, the same thing is true with his, his you know, this, the big time throws that he was making deep down the field. They were such a big part of his game was those huge plays. And again, they're like, the less stable things. They're the things that don't, that fluctuate year to year. Maybe next year he doesn't have as many of those. Can he get better at the other things to mean that he still improves as a player, even if he takes a step back in those areas? The good news is like the Chargers, I think did a great job this offseason of building around him and making everybody else better so that his life should get easier. And even if he's not as good under pressure, he should be under pressure less because they bring in like the best center in the NFL and they draft the left tackle and, you know, bring in these upgrades on the offensive line that should make his life easier next year. Uh, your, I, I guess, assessment of Keenan Allen. Uh, obviously, I know you have an appreciation for him. Why does it seem the NFL doesn't have an appreciation for a experience and one of the best route runners in the NFL? Yeah, it's a great question because his route running is like it's masterful. It's beautiful yes. to watch. He is a technician. You know, when you watch these videos, particularly we're getting into that season now, right? It's, it's going to be training camp season. You're going to get all these social media clips and there will be a ton from Keenan Allen just destroying people with his moves. I think it's because that's to most people, that's kind of less sexy than a Julio Jones who's just this physical monster and it's just going to you know, destroy you for speed or for size or for strength at the catch point. I think that's what guys love to watch, but a guy that's just incredibly good with his technique. And it's, it's, I think maybe harder to appreciate to an extent, but yeah, Keenan Allen is just such a fun player to watch because that stuff isn't easy and not everybody can do it. And particularly not to the level he can do it at. There's maybe two, three guys in the NFL that can do the kind of things he can do to get open and we should celebrate that. We should sort of appreciate it more, I think. Last one for you, Sam. And I'm going to go to my old team that I was drafted by, the Raiders. And so, Sam, I got to ask you, look, Derek Carr kind of proved to everybody last year, hey, it wasn't me. It hasn't been about me. It's been about some of the guys around me that we can get better at. But where does Derek Carr fit in your eyes right now currently? And where can he go this season? 
Yeah, I think he was a top 10 quarterback last season. I think he showed that, look, if he's a little bit more aggressive with his passing and throws the ball down the field a little bit more, he can put himself back into that level. You know, we hadn't really seen it since that 2016 season where he looked like he was on his way to being one of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL before he you know, broke his ankle and, and was never quite the same player again. But last season he was. Right? That was the first time we'd seen that player since that year. Um, and I think he, you're right. He showed that, look, if you give me a guy that can get open deep, and we thought it was going to be Henry Ruggs last year, it ended up being Nelson Aguilar more than yeah. Ruggs. And this year, you know, they're, I'm sure they're going to hope it's Henry Ruggs, but they have the contingency of John Brown if it isn't. So there should still be the, the players that will get open deep down the field. And if Carr is going to be that aggressive, he's extremely accurate. He's, um, he's got some athleticism to him. He can make plays and extend plays with his legs. He can be that top 10 quarterback. And maybe he doesn't have the talent to put himself in the Mahomes, the Aaron Rodgers, the Russell Wilson conversation, but he can be like at the top of that next tier down. And I think that second tier of quarterbacks is still good enough to win you a Super Bowl if you know the rest of the roster is in pretty good shape. And that's, I think, the, the key for the Raiders is, is the rest of this team good enough? Because they're drafting in recent years, particularly at the top, has been questionable. They, they haven't hit on those guys. And Carr needs a little bit more help than, than the likes of Mahomes, where... You know, it doesn't really matter if you put a great team around Patrick Mahomes. He can make the difference between the the middling roster and the best teams in the NFL because he's that good. Carr needs you to start getting some of those decisions right at the top of the draft. Otherwise, he just doesn't have enough help around him to get it done. Well, you made a difference in making this show awesome today, Sam. I <laughs> honestly appreciate you. Uh, tell us about the podcast. How, how can we hear more of you? Yeah, myself and uh, Steve Palazzolo, uh, PFF's resident, six foot eight, former pitcher freak. <laughs> we uh, we have the PFF NFL podcast, so a couple of episodes a week, and that's where you, you get to hear all of our stuff. Perfect, man. Perfect. Hey, Sam, I know you're a busy guy. Appreciate the time, and I'll let you go back to the cave and watch more film. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, man. Thanks for having me on. Anytime. Nah, that was Sam Monson. He's the NFL lead analyst for PFF. Make sure you follow him at PFF underscore Sam. More L.A. Gridiron Weekly coming up next. Back here again on L.A. Gridiron Weekly. Special thanks to Sam Monson, the lead analyst for Pro Football Focus, breaking down his PFF 50, the best 50 players in the NFL right now. I can't wait to see that list kind of come to fruition uh, as the season goes along. But uh, just hearing his thoughts as well and now – kind of hearing about some of the players we're going to see in 2021 who I think rankings can jump uh, as the season goes along. I think they should keep a rankings for players as the season starts to where they finish at the end of the season. Because one player in particular, I don't know where a lot of people have him ranked. Um, Some may say he's a tier one quarterback, a tier two quarterback. But I'll tell you this, he is QB one for the Rams. And to his head coach, he is a tier one quarterback. And I'm talking about Matthew Stafford and his head coach, Sean McVay of the L.A. Rams. And Sean McVay last uh, this week, he talked with Sports Illustrated Albert Sports Illustrated's Albert Breer. And, you know, Albert Breer just sat down. One of the guys who I really trust in his business. I've been uh, working with Albert since I was a player in terms of uh, when he was a say a beat reporter. Now he's one of the big voices of the NFL, but he talked with Sean McVay 
And Sean McVay reiterated this sort of love affair that he has with Matthew Stafford. And I say that because I don't know where Matthew Stafford is ranked currently, but I'll tell you this. He is probably going to be ranked near the top of the position of quarterback at the end of the season, because here's what Sean McVay had to say to Albert Breer. I want you to listen up. So this is McVay talking to Albert Breer, bro. This dude's a bad and uh, choice words. <laughs> he said, laughing, whatever people say about him as good as it can be, he's even better than advertised. It makes sense to him. The guy's ability to see the game, his ability to draw on his experiences, the feel that he has. It's pretty special and it's unique. And man, his feel for people, his authentic way of connecting with his teammates, his coaches, this guy, it's great being around him. That's Sean McVay talking about his new quarterback, Matthew Stafford. It kind of falls in line with what many people have been saying for a long time. Matthew Stafford's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Even Aaron Rodgers has come out and said, man, no one's talking enough about that quarterback number nine in Detroit because of the team's success a lot of time. No one talks about who he could be as a quarterback if everything sort of fell in place. That organization, the Detroit Lions, have been kind of up and down, and they haven't had the culture that I think other franchises have. They haven't won a playoff game in, whew, I would say, since, what, the 50s, I believe, 50s, 60s, something like that. It's been a long, long time. I think they're still one of the longest droughts in professional sports in terms of winning a playoff game. And so now that Matthew Stafford is in Los Angeles, you're seeing just this different side of Sean McVay. Not necessarily, oh, because Jared Goff is gone, but because he's got a shiny new toy. Look, everybody knows when you get that new toy, whatever that new toy may be, you know what I mean? Like for me, when I got my first air fryer, you know what I mean? I was like, oh my God, I'm air frying everything, right? But it's a new toy you're excited about. You can't wait to tell people about it. Like, man, let me tell you what I air fried last night. Like nobody cares, but I think people do care. And so Damian Woody, uh, one of uh, the NFL analysts for ESPN, he was on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin, and he talked about the pressure now that Matthew Stafford must face now as he has joined the Rams. Matthew Stafford is under the most pressure this year of any player. I mean, think about it, Key. This is a guy, quite honestly, that hasn't won anything in the National Football League. He's put up stats. There's no question about that. But he hasn't won anything in the National Football League. And for the Rams to jettison the guy that took them to the Super Bowl, and they've had some success with, with, with Jerry Goff at the helm, and they gave, up a, they gave up a bounty. They gave up a pretty penny to bring over Matthew Stafford. With that roster that they have, it's, it's Super Bowl or bust. There are no more excuses for Matthew Stafford, for Sean McVay, for Les Snead. There's no excuses now. It's Super Bowl or bust out there in L.A. Uh, that was Damian Woody, NFL analyst for ESPN on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin. He mentioned Keyshawn's name a couple times there. Here's a little Keyshawn as well. Keyshawn on his same show talking about the Matthew Stafford narrative. 
I'm tired of people saying somebody didn't have a complete roster. So you go through He's your got whole a defense that you go be, through your entire whole career and nothing was ever right for you. He played for the Detroit I, Lions. It doesn't matter. That ain't what I'm asking you. <laughs> you go through a whole career stuck with that particular team that decided to pay you a handsome ransom to, to stay there. Right. But your whole career, it was everybody else. You couldn't get those players that, mind you, were drafted for a reason because people around the league thought that those players were pretty good, so they drafted him. Well, he had good targets offensively. I mean, obviously Megatron, one of them, but you know, he had guys like, you know. Yes, he's 0-3 lifetime. 0-3 lifetime in the playoffs. Yes. However long it's been, you're 0-3 lifetime. Let's be real. 12 years, you don't say that about other people that sit in places for 12 years. If you're going to be fair about it, be fair. You you 0-3 lifetime. But you, you, didn't still elevate, say the you did not elevate your team the way that a $100 million-plus quarterback should. That was Keyshawn Johnson on his own show, Keyshawn J. Will and Zubin. Whew. Well, I would have to disagree with Keyshawn. I think we've looked at that Detroit organization. You think about some of the coaches that he's had to deal with. Rob Marinelli, Jim Schwartz. I think Jim Caldwell really had this thing going in the right direction. They go back-to-back 9-7. and seven. They go to the playoffs that uh, second to last year, and then they go 9-7. and seven. They did not qualify for the playoffs, but yet this team was still a winning football team probably change a couple things around and you're like, okay, they're on the right track. Well, Detroit decides, you know what? That's not good enough. We we want better. So they get Matt Patricia. Remember the defensive coordinator of the uh, New England Patriots. And all Matt Patricia does is drive that thing into the ground, trying to build this culture of the New England Patriots. And he set the franchise back. That's not Matthew Stafford's fault. That's people trying to believe in what's just not there. At 9-7, and seven, I'm not saying they were bad, but they hadn't reached their ceiling with Jim Caldwell. People said, well, they reached the ceiling. They qualified for the playoffs just a year previous. They go 9-7, and seven, they didn't qualify. You put a couple more pieces around, it is hard to win in the NFL. But when you're already a winning football team, you got to make changes? Come on, man. You got to be better than that. So I put that on the coaching staff. I put that on the organization, not necessarily on Matthew Stafford. And for people out there listening, I want you to understand that the organization was so messed up in Detroit that a Hall of Fame wide receiver, Calvin Johnson, who was being inducted this season, walked away from the game. Barry Sanders, one of the greatest running backs of all time, another Hall of Famer, walked away from the game. You don't think it was fun in Detroit? Like, come on, let's be real. Two Hall of Fame players said, nah, I'm okay, I'm done. Because they're watching themselves going down this rabbit hole. It's like, there is no end. Where's the light at the end of the tunnel? We keep digging and digging and digging, but I don't see light. <laughs> We're not winning. I'm doing everything everything that I can and something go is going wrong. We don't have the defense for everybody out there listening to. Do you know who the last running back? I'm going to bring in uh, my producer, Jesse Lopez. Do you know who the last running back to rush for a thousand yards for the Detroit Lions? Do you know that Jesse? Wasn't right, it? Right, right, right oh, off the top see. of your head, right off the top I'm of your gonna head. I'm going to say Barry Sanders, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's wrong, right? <laughs> Uh, I'm pretty sure that was wrong, but that yeah, wrong era, but it's all good though. Uh, it's happened in the last 10 years. I'll give you that. All but right. Can you name the last running back 
877-710-ESPN, 877-710-3776. The last running back to rush for a 1,000 yards for the Detroit Lions. I know who it is. Oh, no, no, do you know who it is? And for all those people out there, fact check it. I know you're like, oh, my God, who's the last running back? I already know who it is. You can fact check. You know what? I'll let you fact check. I want everybody to fact check all of this because it kind of proves my point that Matthew Stafford is coming over to a culture with the Rams that already has things in place. They already have it all in place. He's just adding now to the culture. He's bringing what he wanted to for many years in Detroit, where now he's here. Yes, he has all the pressure. He has more pressure than Sean McVay. I do believe that. People say, well, no, McVay made the deal. And no, it's still always going to fall on the player. McVay can always say, you know what? We chose wrong. I, you know, My mistake. We're going to go get the new quarterback. Trust me, that's why all these teams are still drafting all these rookie quarterbacks in the first round. Oh, we made a mistake. We're going to do it. You know, the Chicago Bears. Oh, Trubisky was a mistake. Look, he he did everything that we thought and the expectations. He just wasn't good enough. But guess what? We're drafting Justin Fields. So we're going to he's going to take us to, to new heights. Mitch Trubisky took them to two playoff appearances. Mitch Trubisky took them to two playoff appearances. But you know, he wasn't good enough. So we you know what? We found a new quarterback. That's the way the NFL works. And I'm saying that Matthew Stafford did not have that same that same culture that was built. He didn't have the full running attack. He didn't have the full wide receiver complimentary. And the best one that he did have to say, you know what? I'm done with this. And actually was feuding with the team. Calvin Johnson. Who was that running back? I want to see if you guys are listening out there. 877-710-ESPN. 877-710-3776. I want to get to those phone calls. I'm going to keep them, keep them on hold. Keep them on hold till we come back. I want to get your thoughts on that. Your thoughts on what do you think about this Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford love affair? Plus, maybe squeeze in a little bit of college football talk. NIL, name, image, likeness. More coming up here on LA Gridiron Weekly on 710 ESPN. Welcome back in to LA Gridiron Weekly here on 710 ESPN 877 877- 710 ESPN is a phone number, 877-710-3776. We got some smart listeners out there. People have been tweeting at me on my uh, Twitter handle, at Kirk Morrison. I'm reading your tweets as well. Uh, but we got some callers in. I think we got the caller who realizes who the last player, the last player to rush for 1,000 yards for the Detroit Lions, right, giving just a little bit of uh, relief to the then quarterback Matthew Stafford of the Lions. Let's go to, uh, let's go to the phone line. Uh, patch up. Who I forgot who it is. Bring them on up. Yes, let's go to Sal. Sal in L.A. What's up, Sal? What's up, guys? I'm doing good, man. So uh, you have an answer for me. I already have the answer, but you have the answer for me. Who was the last player to rush for a thousand yards for the Detroit Lions? I mean, it's got to be only one guy, and it's got to be the Reggie Bush guy. <laughs> Reggie Bush, it is indeed. And I wanted to bring that question up, man. Appreciate the phone call as well, man. And thank you for listening to LA Gridiron Weekly, Sal. But um, yeah, it happened in 2013. Detroit Lions last running back to rush for a thousand yards was you former USC running back and Heisman Trophy winner, Reggie Bush. He and look, he barely did it, by the way. He only rushed for one thousand. Six yards. That's right. It's only six over a thousand. 
So he was one Aaron Donald <laughs> tackle for loss away from being under a thousand yards. But that was actually Reggie Bush's best statistical season, I think, in the National Football League was 2013. Rushed for over a thousand yards. He also had over 500 yards receiving and seven total touchdowns. So he was an absolute beast um, with Matthew Stafford, one of their better teams that they had in Detroit. But that was the only year he got that production from the running back position. So for a lot of people who didn't know that Reggie Bush was the last running back to rush for a thousand yards of Detroit Lions, had a couple people who messaged me, didn't even realize that Reggie Bush was even on the Detroit Lions. He was only there for two seasons, but you forget that part of his career. And it kind of proves to the point that I've been bringing up is that Matthew Stafford has just had a situation where there's been no consistency within the team, the culture, whether it's the offensive coordinator, whether it's the head coach, the offensive line, wide receivers. I'm not into making excuses but I'm into giving reasons. So there's a reason why you can't have success when you don't have the same continuity. Fast forward to the Los Angeles Rams. Sean McVay has been the head coach of the Rams for four seasons now. He's already in year five. He's been the same guy calling the plays. They've been to the playoffs three or four seasons. Oh, and then by the way, the year that they didn't make the playoffs, they still were nine and seven. They still were a winning football team. They have never had a losing record under Sean McVay. They've been to a Super Bowl. They've been to a wild card round and they even went to the divisional round as well. So they've done and accomplished a lot of things that Matthew Stafford has not accomplished. But the culture, the consistency, the same voice is what Matthew Stafford has been missing in his career. That's why I am so bullish on Stafford and the Rams. Because these guys, I think, are going to take this season personally to prove that this is the right matchup. This is the right uh, duo. Stafford, McVay, we are going to see. Your thoughts, 877-710-ESPN, 3776. We still got a little bit. I'm going to get into next segment also, too. Maybe a little bit of the college football name, image, and likeness. July 1st is July 1st is a big day around college football because the NIL will be coming into yeah, into effect. So I'm gonna break here and we'll come back and I'll give you more on that on LA Gridiron Weekly on 710 ESPN. LA Gridiron Weekly, 877-710-ESPN, 877-710-3776. A couple of your phone calls before two-minute drill, before we get out of here on another great show of LA Gridiron Weekly. Read a couple messages, too. I told you people have been messaging me throughout the week. So uh, I told them I will return the favor and make sure I read some of those messages. So first one we got here is my guy, Albert Hernandez. And you can reach me on Twitter, on Instagram, my name at Kirk Morrison. And we were talking a little bit about the Matthew Stafford and, you know, Sean McVay, who's got the most pressure. And he thinks that the pressure is on both guys. He re, uh, messaged me and said to me, the both the pressure's on both, because with golf, the Rams accomplished everything except a Super Bowl championship. And now 
it's championship or bust for me. And I've been a Rams fan since the championship game in 79, 80. So that was from Albert Hernandez. Appreciate the message, Albert. I still think that the overwhelming majority of the pressure will be on Matthew Stafford, not Sean McVay. Um, I think with coaches and players, well, coaches and execs, they can pick a player. When the player is correct, then you get a lot of credit. When the player is not correct, they'll blame the execs and coaches, but the coaches can always twist it and say, you know what? We just chose wrong, and that's why we're choosing again. And you know what? This guy who we're choosing is going to be better. So that's why you see sometimes you get you know execs and coaches who can spin it uh, in their favor. So I still think at the end of the day, Matthew Stafford is under the most pressure when it comes to Sean McVay and less need in this organization. So uh, more uh, another tweet that came in a little bit earlier today. Um, so I pull it up right here. Yeah. I'm just talking about the casual, the kind of in agreement with, the Detroit Lions. Um, the Ford family does not care about the Lions. A change was made in the Ford family, and they hired Brad Holmes, former head of player personnel with the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, he is now the general manager of the Lions to fix what's kind of been, you know, went into the ground with Matt Patricia. So that goes to a point again. And appreciate that, Eddie and San Paulo. Um, it goes to what the conversation we were having again is that the organization in Detroit for so many years was ran a certain way. And actually this year they hired an actual search committee led by one of the uh, all time linebackers, Chris Spillman. He was a part of that. Uh, the, the efforts to hire the right person to bring the Detroit Lions back into, they think the, um, good graces of NFL competition each and every year. July 1st is a big day in college football. And one of the reasons why it's a big day is because of the NIL name, image, and likeness. You're going to see this all week long. Okay. All week long as we get ready for NIL name, image, and likeness college players, student athletes will now have the opportunity to make money off of their name, image, and likeness. But there's been some pushback between different conferences, the NCAA, because you don't want this to be a free for all. OK, and when I say free for all is now the opportunity for marketing agents, schools trying to figure out where do they fall in line. Um, also, now you're also, I think, exposing kids to now having to pay taxes on earned income coming in. Do you think that players or I shouldn't say players, student athletes should be paid? Um, I do. I think there's a there's a there should be a way that they should be compensated and not just for, oh, the scop the scholarship situation or what's going on. I don't I, I don't believe that. I, I believe that there should be a way of compensation for for everybody in uh, in sports, especially for all the student athletes. I want to hear your thoughts on that, too, as well. But first, here's that two minute drill. It's time for the two minute drill on L.A. Gridiron Weekly. Got a lot, man. I know this is just going to be a big week, so I do want to get your thoughts on that all week long because it's a big day. We're going to be talking a lot about the NIL name, image and likeness on next week's episode of L.A. Gridiron Weekly. What's next for college football? What's next for student athletes? I would like to hear from you on what you think will be 
uh, I think, well, is it good? Is this bad? I, I, I want to know. I want to know a lot from all of you. Um, I think it's going to be good. We just got to find the right way to do it. I talked to a prominent marketing agent last week, and he told me that it's going to be hard because now the expectations, especially for a lot of five-star recruits coming in, believing that, hey, you should you owe them the world, and these $250,000 car dealerships or you know, Rolex commercials. I mean, people are going to be shooting for the stars, shooting for the moon, whatever it may be in terms of trying to get all of this name and likeness stuff together. So it'll be very interesting, very interesting. And we're going to talk about all of that on next week's episode of LA Gridiron Weekly. We had a great show today. Sam Monson, pro football focus lead analyst. He came in, gave us the PFF top 50. Uh, thanks to him as well. Uh, we got into the Carl Nassib story, which was great. And, like, I fully support Carl Nassib. I can't wait to see how he's uh, holding a torch as the NFL season will roll around. Another great show, as always, for Steve Pellet, our engineer. For Jesse Lopez, our producer. This has been LA Gridiron Weekly on 710 ESPN.